morning, if you'll turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16, continuing kind of our series of all the different places we got to go to in Israel. And today we're going to be at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, If we can, that came, ah, yes, this is Caesarea Philippi. This is a a big rock. You can see a big cave there. It's also called Banis. Uh, Banis is the uh, Aramaic word for panis. And what was actually happening here before um, Philip Agrippa turned this into a place to honor Caesar, there was the Temple of Pan. And Pan is the, you know, he's a flute guy. He's half um, horse, half uh, man. You know, the Greek mythology. And this was a temple where they read, they worshipped him. We'll keep on going. We'll, you might get a better spot of that. Oh, uh, yeah, that was really hard to see. They have a really cool thing that's uh, sand in this big, huge wheel. And you turn it around and it prints these verses in you which you can't see. But we'll be reading. It's out of Matthew 16. So we'll read those verses. There's another part of the temple area. This big, big rock, as you can see. Temple of Augustus. They turned that temple uh, that worshipped Pan into one honoring Augustus Caesar. Realizing that the, the Rome, in Rome, Caesar was considered God, or he claimed to be God, and they wanted he wanted to be worshipped. And this is a place that did that. Philip Agrippa was pretty smart. He was politically connected, and that was a political move. Again, some of the things on the side, they had little statues and stuff in there. There's the grotto. Some people would say that was one of the gates of hell. Uh, gates into Hades. Um, others will back that bat, bat that around a little bit. Not maybe not so, but um, that you can see that that's where they did do back in there. They did sacrifices to um, the god Pan. Go ahead. Is there any more there, Ben? Maybe it's stuck. There we go. There's another looking into that big hole. You can keep on rolling. There we go. That's what the time, at the time of Christ, what it would have looked like. An artist rendition of the uh, sanctuary of Pan and the grotto and the temple of Augustus and, and all the things that were going on there. Pretty amazing. Go ahead, Ben. Those are some of the pieces that were salvaged from that area. You can see the intricate work. Those were really old headstones. and, and uh, It's amazing how old everything is there. Okay, let's go to, uh, let's go. This is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's really at the base of Mount Hermon. And which is the tallest places in Israel. And we got to go there, I think it was the same day we went up to, to Mount Hermon. That, um, yeah, that's named after you, Michael. And uh, <laughs> we had a good time. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, if you will, this morning. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 13. The Bible says, when, one, uh, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he the disciples that should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, I ask, Father, that you would speak to us. Father, I need your words to be in my mouth this morning. I need your power. And Father, I ask that you open hearts, that the Holy Spirit would, would empower me to preach and open the hearts to receive your message. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And thank you for the church. Lord, uh, we praise you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting. Here they go. They're, they've left the Sea of Galilee. This is a time where they're starting to get closer and closer to the end of Christ's ministry. And they're moving away from the Sea of Galilee, and they came here to Caesarea Philippi. It says the coast thereof. That's kind of a, when I first read that, and for years before I actually studied, I thought that should be on the water. You know, it's the coast thereof. That's just the area of. It's, it's funny how we, our language changes sometimes, and if we don't pick up on the changes in language, we can kind of get messed up. Because, let me ask you, when I think of coast, I'm thinking water. Well, there is a lot of water there. There's springs, and there's a head, it's part of the feeder of the Jordan River, but it's nowhere near an ocean or the Sea of Galilee, which is a big lake. But it is, this is the place where Jesus founds the church. This is the establishment of the church. Now, there's some theologians that would argue with you. They'd say, no, the church didn't start until the day of Pentecost. Well, why is he talking about the church here? And then two chapters later, Matthew 18, he talks about the church again when he's talking about how to handle difficulties uh, and offenses within the church. You see, this is where he establishes the idea of the church. When the church was empowered and when the church got going was at Pentecost. Does that make sense to y'all? So here we go. This, this is a little bit of a difficult message in that um, uh, it's going to be a lot of teaching and I don't have a lot of funny stuff to say. I'm not that funny of a guy anyway. Just kind of imagine, you know, me wearing something funny. Um, before I try, I'll, I'll try a couple things. I've been watching through some videos and stuff about um, things churches do. You know, we do, we have, we, we say that it's not safe to go trick-or-treating, right? We don't want people going out trick-or-treating. We say, let's not go. We have trunk-or-treat. We open up our trunks, line them all up, put a bunch of candy in there. We tell kids it's okay to go to the back of trunks of cars because that's where candy are. Yeah, I stole that one. I didn't deliver it as well as that other comedian did. But think about some of the stuff we do as a church. Let me tell you a couple of things what a church is. Church is not this building. Okay, it's not a building. And I know in our culture when we talk church, we think buildings. Church isn't a building. The, the actual word, it, it has nothing to do with a building. It has something, has everything to do with people. So church isn't a building, and it's not about um, 
It's not like a club. We're not a club. We have real purpose, and we're going to talk about that. Here we go. Let's let's get started. I I forgot to get an outline this morning, so we'll see what we can do about getting your, your things filled in. First thing I want you to notice are the questions that his disciples are asking. Or actually the one he asked them. He says, when Jesus came in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then in verse 15 he says, Who do you say that I am? There's the questions. Jesus is preparing his disciples now for the next phase the next things that are going to be happening as he, they will be journeying to Mount Hermon. There'll be the transfiguration. There'll be a little bit more ministry and then in, in the um, Galilee area. Then he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to give up his life. There'll be the crucifixion. He start, excuse me, he's starting to prepare them for that. And he's asking, well, who do people say that I am? Everybody was excited about who Jesus was. They didn't know who he was. They say, well, he's one of the prophets. Maybe he's Jeremiah. Maybe he's Isaiah. We don't know exactly who he is. You know, he's, I don't know. But he's John the Baptist, come back to life. But that didn't make a lot of sense, if you think about that, because Jesus and John the Baptist met, and they're about the same age, and John just had his head cut off and sent messengers. But you know how people say. They say all sorts of crazy things, right? We do that all the time. We, we make up things. They were wanting to know who Jesus is. And then he asked what the people were thinking. And then he asked them directly, what do you think? And here are the answers. The answers are, again, well, you're John the Baptist. Well, some are saying that you're Elijah. Others that you're Jeremiah or you're one of the other prophets. You're, you're, they know you're somebody special, but they just don't know who you are. You know, I think there's a lot of people in our world today. They know that Jesus is something special. They just don't know who he is. They say he's this great teacher. He was a great prophet. He, I mean, they got all sorts of things. They just don't know who he really is. And that second question he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers this. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Spent a lot of time trying to break that down and get a hold of it. Thou art the Christ. This is the one that Israel is waiting for. This is God in the flesh. This is the, this is, is the one who is going to establish the kingdom of Israel forever. He is the anointed one. That's what the Messiah is. And he's also the son of the living God. Peter's saying you're also all human. You're a combination. Peter wasn't that smart, okay? He didn't come up with that by himself. In fact, the scripture says that. Read on, you see that it says, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, the son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. See, Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the one to bring the kingdom of God to earth. He will establish that kingdom, and that's going to happen. And he goes on and he says this. 
upon this rock, he said in verse 18, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is going to start his church on the confession that Peter just made. And that's where we need to come together this morning. We need to understand. We have got to grasp the significance of the church of the living God. Let me start by that. By under, we need to start by that by understanding who the church is founded on. And Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, the son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon, and I also say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia. It means a called out assembly. It's a group of people. We are an ecclesia this morning. That's why if you're in Dennis's uh, Sunday school class, has he got to ecclesiology yet? You got, I got a lot of blank faces. The doctrine of the church. That's where we get all that, that ecclesiology, ecclesiastes. Yeah, it's a called out assembly. And that's what we are. We're a bunch of people who God has called out. The other thing here, is there's a bit of a play on words in the English uh, in the Greek that we don't pick up in the English? I know I hate to teach Greek. I, I get the blank looks. I got you. Let me tell you something. Greek is a very very precise language. There's 530 some declensions tenses in, of a Greek verb. It's very very precise. There's uh, gender. Uh, there's uh, male female and neuter, masculine feminine neuter. These two words, the first one, thou art Peter. Word is Petros, small stones. It's in the masculine name. It's in the masculine tense. It's in the masculine gender. The second, and upon this rock, different word, Petra. Big rock. Oh, by the way, you remember those pictures at Caesarea Philippi? where that cave is and stuff, what would you say was all around there? A big rock. That is a big rock. Now imagine, they're sitting out there at Caesarea Philippi, they're having this conversation, Jesus is getting ready to teach them something really good, and he says, Peter, you, God just showed you who I am, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because you, he just showed you that, and because I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter... I'm going to build my church on this rock that I am the son of the living God. Can you imagine just pointing up, see this rock? You know, we, sometimes we think the disciples were really smart. They weren't. They needed some help sometimes, just like us. We need pictures. Sometimes I need pictures to show me what's going on. I, I, I come up with all sorts of ideas in my brain, but when I see the picture, it kind of straightens things out. Y'all like that? He's pointing to that rock. This rock, this fact that I am Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, let me give you some, some thoughts on this. You know, um, in Jewish thought process, in Jewish Bible study, by the way, that's who the disciples were. They're Jewish, right? Okay. Let, let's look at this. 
They, already, they understood this a little bit better than we will. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Psalm 118.22 The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the stone of the corner. Deuteronomy chapter 32 talks all about rocks. And in verse 31 it says, For their rock is not our rock, there's a small uh, uncapitalized rock and then not our rock, which is capitalized, talking about God, even our enemies themselves being judged. So in Jewish thought, this was not an unusual thing. This was an amazing thing. He's saying, I am going to build my church. My people, my called out people, are going to be built on the fact that I am Jesus. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one and I am the son of the living God. That's what our church is built on. That is, that is who we are. That is what it was founded on. It was not founded on Peter. It was founded on Jesus Christ. Peter even explains this later in his writings. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 6 says, Wherefore also it contained the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. I think he's quoting Isaiah, isn't he? Sounded kind of similar, didn't it? Yeah. And unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which are disobedient, the stone of the builder, which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble in the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they are, were appointed. See, he understands it. He's still using that symbology. Look at this. We, we even get called stones. 1 Peter 2.4 To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. He's talking about Jesus, that incredible stone, that rock, the foundation of the church, the foundation of everything that was rejected of men is now made into the church. And then what he says this, Ye also as lively stones are built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You see, Peter just put himself on the, and us on the same level as he is. We are lively stones. It's the same word, petros. Not petra, petros. We are lively stones and we are all come together around that large stone, that foundational stone, and the church is together and we are bringing spiritual truths to this world. It's founded on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Not only that, we need to understand why the church was founded, the purpose of the church. Matthew 16, 18, again. And I say unto you, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shalt be loosed in heaven. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When I say that, what do you think? I know you can't really answer me. 
you know what a lot of people think? They think that hell can't beat us up. That we are safe in a sanctuary here from hell. That, that, that's not what that reads. That is telling us that the church, those lively stones, can go and break down the gates of hell. You see, we are, have been given victory over death and over hell. Isn't that what Jesus told us? Just, just so you can, I can prove what I just said. <laughs> Let me read the verse. Revelation 1.18 I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. 1 Corinthians 15.55 O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The disciples understood what he was talking about when he talked about hell or Hades. It's the place where the dead go. We've been given eternal life. That place, those gates of hell, can't stop us. We're alive. We can go in and we're going to bring life to those who are dead. The power of death nor the power of the devil can prevail against the church. You see, sometimes we get afraid. Oh, we got to stay here. You know, we got even have we even sing songs like you know, uh, I forgot the name of it. It's because I don't sing it and I don't, don't ever want to sing it. But we kind of like hold the fort, you know. No, we are to charge. I love that. We are to charge hell with a squirt gun. It's fine. I don't, I, squirt gun, no big deal, but I got the power of Jesus Christ on me. We are to invade the realm of Satan, the darkness of this world. We can prevail against the gates of hell. That's what the church is here for, to bring life to those who are condemned to death. Not only that, he goes on. He says, I will give thee the, king, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You ever wonder about that? You, you know where we get a lot of bad thought processes from that little part of the verse right there? How many jokes, how many pictures do you see St. Peter standing at the gates of heaven with the keys? It all comes from that little verse right there. That's where it comes from. All the jokes, all the, everybody, yeah, we know St. Peter's up there. We got to, you know, some people want to bribe him, whatever we can to try to get him in, get into heaven. Well, he's not the one that keeps you in or out of heaven, by the way. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, they were given him. They are given to Peter, but they're also given to us. Uh, remember back a little bit in this passage where it says, Simon bar Jonah. That means Simon the son of Jonah. Remember a few weeks ago when I spoke about Joppa? That was the, the port where, where Jonah took off to try to get to Tarshish because God had told him to go to Nineveh and preach to those Gentile people that weren't Jews who were ready to hear the word and repent, and Jonah didn't want to do that. And remember, I also tell you that Joppa is where Peter was staying with one guy named Simon the Tanner. And when a vision came to Peter, and, and Peter said, it said, 
all this stuff was on the sheet and, and uh, the words of God came to him and said, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. He says, No, uh, I'm Jewish. I don't eat unclean stuff. Boy, was he ever missing out. No pork chops. Oh, man, rice, tomato, gravy. He couldn't have any of that stuff. Anyway, that was nothing about eating. Showed him very soon that he was to go from Joppa up to Caesarea, which we talked about a little bit ago, and meet a man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who received Christ as his Savior and, and, they, and received the Holy Spirit just like the Jews did. You see, Peter also preached at Pentecost. And then, what, 3,000 came to know Christ? He had the kingdom. He has the keys to the heaven. The keys to heaven is the gospel. The keys to the kingdom of heaven is the gospel. And Peter preached, and God used him to open up the kingdom to the Jews at Pentecost. And he stayed in Jerusalem, and he kept preaching. And a few weeks later, they healed somebody, and, and then like 5,000 got saved. Uh, men. And then there was women and children along with that. And it was an amazing thing going on. He won the, he opened the kingdom of heaven to the Jews. He opened the kingdom of heaven to the Sumerians. He opened the kingdom of heaven to the Gentiles. He had the keys. Those keys have been passed on to us. The key to the kingdom of heaven is the gospel. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what it's about. And he's given those keys to the church. That's us, the called out assembly. Those who have believed on Christ, we are called out together. And our purpose, our purpose is to get the gospel, to break down the gates of hell, to bring life to those who are dead, to bring light to those who are in darkness. And nothing can stop God's church. One more little thing here. There's a, that little phrase, thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What thou bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Y'all ever get confused with that? You know what, most people, a lot of people don't like to talk about that stuff. If things get confusing, let's just skip that. Well, I'm not going to skip that this morning. I'm going to try to help you with that. It, it kind of sounds like when we read that, that whatever the church does here on earth, well, God will make that happen. That's not quite true. You know, I talked to you about that Greek being a very, very precise language with all these different tenses and all that. Instead of breaking down and, and parsing out all this for you, let me, let me just explain this. The Greek tenses that are used here mean that the church will bind and loose, what the church will bind and loose is consistent with a divine pattern. It, when the church is being led by the Holy Spirit, then we will bind and loose the things that God wants bound and loose. It's not us telling God what's going on. It's us following his, his, his lead. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God has given us. I don't know, this is a tough message. If we're going to grasp the importance of the church, we have to understand we have to understand why the church was founded. We have to understand who the church was founded on. And then we also have to understand where the church is going. We have to understand the person, the purpose, and the power of the church. 
verse 16 and 19. I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Talking to the church. See, we have been given great power, the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of God, the power that rose Jesus from the dead indwells us. Isn't that amazing? He would do that. And all we have to do is allow that Holy Spirit take control of our lives and to follow him. He will not lead us astray. John 16, Jesus taught a lot about the Holy Spirit. He said this, he said, nevertheless, oh, by the way, I'm going to tell you a little story on this one. I love this passage and I hate this passage. I love the passage for what it says. I hate this passage because in Bible college, this was a passage you had to memorize. And you had to write it all out. You had to spell every word just right. You have had to have the, the punctuation right. What did what does spelling and punctuation have to do with knowing what the Bible says? I don't know. But I flunked it every time. Three mistakes in a whole passage is wrong. That was a tough standard. Anyway, there's my telling on myself. I love and hate this passage. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We are given the power of the Holy Spirit to reprove the world of, of sin, reprove the world of, uh, of, uh, of judgment, and to show righteousness. We are going to reach the world with the gospel. Let me again explain what reaching the world with the gospel is. This doesn't mean that everyone is going to come to know Christ as their Savior. It means that the message is going to go to everyone and they have the opportunity to receive or reject Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And that is our, and we are not going in our own power in our own thought processes, in our own creativity, we are going in the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the church is for. That is where we are going. Ultimately, we are going to be with Him. And ultimately, we are going to come back to this earth, riding horses, Revelation chapter 19, and we will be part of Him setting up His earthly kingdom for a thousand years and we the church will be ruling and reigning with him see a church is a whole lot more than a social place 
It's a whole lot more than a place where we come in and hear somebody preach. It's a whole lot more where we come than where we come to hear somebody teach. It's a living thing. It's a living organism. It is the body of Christ. Founded on the person of Christ. Given the, the, uh, given the mission of bringing light to dark, bringing life to death, and empowered by the living God to do so. Maybe, maybe we should go back to this passage a little more often. Maybe we need to, to meditate on this a little bit more and we will understand the significance of the church of Jesus Christ. The called out assembly. What we are part of. It's big. It's powerful. It's amazing. And God lets us be part of that. I know, not a fun message. Boy, this is something we need. There's your lesson in ecclesiology today. The founding of the church. We are significant. We are powerful. And we have great purpose. If you're here this morning, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are not part of that called out body. You're not part of the church. The Bible says when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are put into the body of Christ. We are put into the church. Speaking in a universal sense. Here we are at a local assembly. A local body of Christ. All around the world, people are meeting places like this, bigger than this, smaller than this, but God's people are meeting and worshiping and studying his word today. But if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not part of that. You may be in a place, but you're not part of the life. You may be part of the organization, but not part of the organism. And I want to encourage you this morning, cast aside the religious stuff and come to know the living God through Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, and you're, maybe you're, you're not part of this local assembly, and God is laying it on your heart to be part of this local assembly, come and we'll talk to you about that. We'll set up a time where we can go through and, and talk to you what it means to be part of this local assembly here, this local church. There may be other things. Maybe you didn't understand what the church was all about, and you're getting a little bit more of a, a picture of that, and you want to be part of that purpose. Whatever God is laying on your heart this morning, just be obedient to Him. Let's stand as we pray.